Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Good afternoon, everyone. My name's Alex Jones, and I'm the Program Manager of the Equity Foundation. Before we commence, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the of the Eora nations and pay my respects to all the traditional owners of country and all throughout our country and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. And that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I want to take a minute to thank the Equity Foundation's principal sponsor, Media Super. Media Super has supported the foundation since our beginning in the early 2000s. They are your industry super fund and they can help you with your superannuation and provide you with financial advice. If you don't have any contact details, please let me know and I can put you um, in front of the correct person. Okay, so handing over to Monica and Libby. Thank you. Kaya, greetings everyone. Uh, I just want to welcome you all and acknowledge that we are on Wajak Buja, which is uh, Wajak lands of the Noongar Nation and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. This land was never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, Libby is here with me on Wajak country, Wajak Buja. Uh, so I also just want to start by saying this is our personal opinion. These are our personal experiences. We're not professional financial advisors. Uh, so you can take what we say with a grain of salt or take it to heart, but please, we're not financial advisors. If you want financial advice, speak to your accountant or some trusted uh, accounts person. Libby and I have kind of parallel experiences, but also completely different experiences. So to begin with, um, Libby, perhaps you'd just like to give a sort of a pricey, an overview of where you've come from, your training or your experiences and what you do, what the show bag of things you do. <laughs> Thanks, Mon, uh, and uh, hello to everyone across uh, the globe. It's so exciting, and kia ora to our New Zealand uh, pals today as well. It's just super exciting. Um, it's like travelling. Oh, um, it's I do have a real mixed bag. I am a true splashy in, in every sense of the word. I am a divisor. I'm a director. I'm a producer. I am a performer. I am a teacher and an educator. Um, I've been uh, working pr primarily uh, in, in Perth, in Bulu, uh, for the last uh, 20 odd years in this sector. Um, under all of those different kinds of hats, um, I've been touring a lot. I, I've um, put together a lot of tours as well. And so that, that's kind of what I bring to this. I, um, I wear many, many hats. I infamously work for everybody and no one at the same time. Great. Um, so a similar position, actor, writer, producer, director, voiceover artist. I do a lot of work. Um, I do audio tours. Um, I've worked in prisons. I've done corporate work. I MC. I'm an auctioneer, not housing auctions, mainly art auctions. Um, so it's sort of auctioneer entertainer. So I'm a divisor like yourself. I've, I've done a number of commissions for the WA Museum. I guess we sort of seek out anything that pays really. Um, I have done fringe work, but I tend to do fringe shows that I'm personally invested in, in the sense that I, I've helped create the show or, you know, there's, there's something that rather than just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to be in any show, I, I have to really be careful about what I do because, you know, doing fringe shows does not pay the rent. So 
those are the, yeah. Um, so Libby, can we just talk about the fact that uh, particularly as a producer, because um, here we have a powerhouse of an, a place called the Blue Room Theatre, which both of you and I have been the chair of, uh, and it's a production house. They give funding for people to do their shows and you do get, I think it's still 90% of the door that you get. 80, for, yeah. 80, yep. Um, and people have two or three-week seasons. So that's one place that is a fantastic um, place for creating new work. And I know that the Blue Room now has a policy. If you're doing a show there, if you're acting in it, you can't really be the producer. Like they've really kind of designated that there are specific roles. You might be the light, have a lighting designer, a production designer, the producer of the show, the writer, the director, the actors. So it's set up very much like a professionally funded organisation. So no one person is burdened with every task because I've, I've done that in the past. I've done one person shows and I've been the producer as well and nearly killed myself. So yep. do you want to just talk about um, how you you know, separate your jobs, why you say yes to some things, no to other things, you know, do you do more producing, do you do more devising, just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, I think that an important thing about being a slashy is recognising that just because you can do a bunch of things doesn't mean that you should do a bunch of things on all projects. Um, and I echo your experience as well. I've definitely had shows where I've had four different jobs and it is ill-advised. <laughs> um, uh, and there's always a cost somewhere. If, you know, with, if you're saving, saving budget fees by taking on a bunch of jobs yourself, uh, th there is a cost somewhere and it's usually your sanity and your health. Um, and often, to be honest, the quality of the work as well. Um, it means that something's not being looked after properly. So it's um, it's always best to have a, the best team possible. Um, I think what being a slashy means is that you can take on lots of different roles in lots of different teams. Um, I think that that's a really important thing to acknowledge as part of that. In terms, in terms of which gigs that I take these days, it, look, it, de it depends. I'm, I'm not very good at working on stuff I don't care about because uh, it doesn't matter what the job is. It's, there's never enough money to work on something that's shit or boring. So uh, I don't. Uh, and that's a, that's a key way of, of getting through this as well. Sometimes it's a question of scale as well. So I work on independent solo shows. Um, I also work for majors. Um, so it, to me as well, it's making sure that there is a, a mix. And so, you know, sometimes whilst I never work for shows that I dislike or find boring, some are more for the money and some are more for the love. And it's about finding that balance in that regard as well. And could you say that sometimes you don't know if it's going to be boring until you're actually doing it, you know, oh, yeah. and then you just have to follow through and do the best you possibly can. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes likewise, the flip is true as well. One that, uh, you know, I've definitely taken on gigs um, that I've thought, well, this will be pretty straightforward. This will be a, you know, connect the dots exercise. And then there's been, you know, un unparalleled joy and discoveries as part of those gigs as well. You know, and that's, you know, isn't that, that's part of the that's part of the thrill of working in live performance hey you know like yeah. you, you don't know what's going to happen certainly and I think it's also really 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 worthwhile acknowledging how lucky we've been here in Perth to have some semblance of an industry still rolling out in the past couple of years Mon um, really conscious of how many eastern states people and, and overseas people are joining us that have been locked away for so much longer than we have um, my heart goes out to all of you. That's really, really shit. And I'm so happy that things are beginning to open up again and that you're um, being let out mm. and, and able to do your jobs again because uh, making art is a job. We are a labour force and that's really important. 
But in especially for us over here in the past couple of years, although a lot of our options have been limited, um, West Australians are chronic tourers, if nothing else. Um, we're very good at, at bringing bringing uh, the mountain to Muhammad, uh, as it were. So a lot of that has stopped. Um, but I have certainly been focusing in the past couple of years a lot more on producing work uh, rather than creating work. And that's just simply because I haven't had like it's it's hard making work at the best of times and in these times in which there is so much in flux and less guarantee than there ever was before I personally have found it quite difficult to invest mental space heart space and financial space into my own work so I have been uh hustling pretty hard for other people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then so you get uh in terms of that hustling involves budgeting a fee in for yourself into whatever money comes to that production yeah. Okay, so this might be a good opportunity now to talk about where where do you get money from, like for specific projects? Yeah, look, it, again, it kind of depends on the scale and whether you're working with a subsidised company or whether you're working for an independent, and I, I work for both a lot. Um, I'm certainly no stranger to to the independent sector. It's, um, it's where I have been born from and where I continue to play in a lot of the time as well. So it's um, it's a mix. Sometimes it's personal investment, um, either my own or the or the artist that I'm working with, or a, or a conjunction. Um, a lot of the time, it's government funding. Um, here in WA, our government uh, has actually been quite good at quick release funding, particularly in yeah, the past they've changed the structure and, in recent years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In recent years, and particularly since COVID as well, um, I really applaud um, actually the government in, in rolling out that that quick uh, their lower amounts. Um, the fifteen thousand dollar grants. Yeah, the fifteen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The under fifteen thousand dollar ones uh, have been a lot easier to attain, and that's been very helpful in terms of developing work very and really quickly. quick turnaround as well. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's been hugely beneficial in getting people paid very quickly and getting work uh, ready very quickly so that when we are able to present, then that's that's good to go. Um, there are obviously bigger government grants um, that are state government grants as well. Um, look, they and they are good. Um, I think that they haven't increased. One, one aspect that I would definitely encourage the government to look at is that the caps haven't increased in a long time, but our costs mm. have. Um, mm. It's quite difficult to produce a full-scale work with the caps at the moment so there needs to be leverage elsewhere and that, I guess that kind of leads me to a lot of the projects I've been working on have had plus one match funding um, mm -hmm. from from Creative Performance Australia from CPO which has been really great and box office is yeah. the most fundamental source of funding which is a risky source of funding but you know is the bread and butter of what we all do. And I think uh, talking about box office, then we have to talk about spaces or lack thereof. And I'm sure this is across Australia. I know quite a few spaces have closed down over the years. Cutbacks in federal, I mean, even before COVID, there was, you know, massive yeah. withdrawing of funding because of the federal government doesn't have the same understanding of the arts as perhaps us as practitioners. Uh, and what I find really tough, and I know a lot of my colleagues and friends do as well, is that you'll get your grant, um, yay, uh, but then a chunk of that will go to a venue and venues are really expensive. And I'm sure there's many people in this um, Zoom meeting who feel the same. And that's the really tough thing, like finding spaces, trying to create new spaces. I mean, that's something that Fringe has done has kind of made people creative about, oh, wow, look, you know, there's a space we can use here. But, you know, just getting the equipment in, getting um, 
the insurance, you've got to have public liability. Um, yeah, do you want to talk about how that's affected or maybe impinged what you can or can't do because of, I mean, I, there's limited spaces now. There's less spaces than there used to be. And even our state theatre company, Black Swan, is balking at the cost of our state theatre centre, which is run by the government. So there's this kind of th that nexus of who owns the spaces and who's using them. It's, it can be cost prohibitive. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a few things that, that lead into that. Um, number one, that there are just straight up not enough spaces, um, particularly of in, in, in a variety of scale. Um, that, that's really hard. There's a, a real uh, lack of mid-size venues of that 100 to 200 seat venues. That's really difficult to, to find at the moment. I know that's not just limited to Perth. Um, there is also, as you say, uh, uh, like we're, we're getting government grants to pay for government venues, which just seems madness to me. Like there's some real robbing Peter to pay Paul behaviour going on. Um, although, you know, full, full props to the people who are running a lot of our state run venues, like they are working very hard to accommodate um, smaller companies and, and independent artists. Um, there, there's always been two different rate cards um, for subsidised and unsubsidised. And, mm. and um, there's a lot of in-kind support given uh, to the sector by them as well. And I think that that's really great. Um, but yeah, it's hard. And particularly when touring has been off the cards, like that's like, where, where do you go? What do you do? And where do you find those new audiences when, when there are so few venues? Um, you're right, Fringe has been a, a, a great opener of, of new found spaces, but you know, found spaces have pros and cons as well. I mean, they're mm. exciting and you can adapt work to them and there's a novelty and sometimes they're in new areas so you get new audiences and that's really exciting as well. But then also, you know, like you still got to have some lights in there somewhere. Mm. <laughs> you still got to have someone operating uh, your shows and so those labour costs can become more prohibitive as well. So it's, um yeah, it's, it's hard. And uh, I think that the, the way that I've gotten away with it is... Um, I'm still here. <laughs> I still have the relationships with venues um, and venue operators as well. And, um, you know, like it's a, that, that relationship building is a long game, isn't it? Mon? Yeah. You know? And, and when, when you have a couple of runs on the board or you have people who can speak for you, um, that becomes hugely helpful as well, including, and I would extend that to building tours as well, when we are able to travel more freely yeah, so in, uh, um, having a, a, a connection with venue operators, building a relationship with venue operators. Um, well, I mean, there's a number of venues in this state. Um, some of those venue operators are much more proactive about opening their doors to some of them are a bit like, oh, oh, having a show here. Oh, hang on. That means we have to get an audience. Oh, no, no, no. Um, then we have to clean the place. No, no, no. So, yes, yes. yes. Um, oh. some venue operators are much more um, generous, gracious, welcoming than mm. others. Now, talk. So let's talk about, okay, so we've, we've got venues, you, you, we're talking about theatre here. In terms of, though, just being running a business, I just wanted to touch on the fact that um, being a slashy, I've got an ABN, okay? I did a show in 2019. I had a commission for the uh, WA Maritime Museum where uh, the, they had this amazing um, huge shark exhibition and they wanted a show. They've got a beautiful 200-seat theatreette in that venue and they wanted a show that, that people who came to the exhibition could then go to this show and it would be free to the audience. It had to be family-friendly. It had to have only two performers. It had to be highly informative about sharks. 
It had to have audience participation and it had to be funny. No pressure. So that was, my, that was my brief, ladies and gentlemen. And I do know everything there is to know about sharks now. Anyway, I, I did the brief. Fantastic. It was a fantastic gig. It was really interesting. So I had this great gig. I charged a fee. I have an ABN. I got my fee. And bizarrely, ironically, you know, a year later, we have awful COVID. And one of the precursors of, you know, how you could get JobKeeper was if your income has fallen 30%. And of course, I had this big gig the year before. I could prove that, yes, everything had shut down, all our venues, everything closed. Um, we were all locked in just like the rest of Australia and the, and the rest of the world. Uh, so I was able to get JobKeeper. Um, then we managed to start getting work again here. We were very lucky. And I spoke to my accountant. I said, oh, you know, I've got work coming in. Oh, no, it's not income tested. So amazingly, some of us in the arts, you know, we were able to get JobKeeper and then still kind of seek seek work, which was just has never happened before or since. Um, <laughs> because ironically, there was other people I know who were friends in shows, shows closed. No, you haven't been in this show for more than 10 months. You haven't been working as a casual for more than, you know, you couldn't get anything. So I, people disproportionately suffered, which I think was really wrong. The government, federal government still won't acknowledge that. But I think there, I think it's in, an imperative if you want to be a slashy that you need to have an ABN. So, of course, you can get jobs. I still get jobs um, where, you know, I, I get paid a wage, um, I get my tax paid um, and I get my super taken out. And, of course, when you get um, an ABN, you get paid a fee and you need to be really prudent about making sure you top up your super, keep, keep kind of dividing up your money, I guess, into those. Um, I know you've kind of talked about it as parcels before. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about how, what an ABN means for you um, and, and how you manage your finances within that framework. Yeah, yeah. Look, I was one of those that fell through the cracks. I didn't get JobKeeper um, because I, I, I worked gig to gig. And so I never worked for anyone long enough to be able to get JobKeeper. So that was yeah, um, there's, and I know I'm definitely not alone. It's, it's something that needs um, revisiting. But yeah, the way, the way that I, and again, as Mon said at the very beginning, I am not a financial advisor. I do not have financial qualifications other than the fact that I have made a living of working in the arts for the last couple of decades. So that's, uh, that's my qualifications here, friends. But what I do, and this isn't, you know, hugely like this isn't revolutionary ideas either. Um, I tend to manage it with a whole bunch of bank accounts and I automate it as much as I possibly can. So I get an ABN, um, which is free to get from the government. It means that you can invoice. I, uh, I'm i not registered for, for GST because um, I don't make that much money. Um, yeah, so but I'll just I, add in there too. Yeah. I'm not registered for GST. Anyone can register for GST, but then you've got to put yep. in a best statement That's four right. times a year. And I'm like, uh, you know, I could yep. do the best statement. I don't want to. Even if I did it myself, my accountant said, by law, they have to check it. So there's another. And so if you're earning $75,000 or less, you don't have to be registered for GST. You can yep. be if you want to be. I know some very thorough people who are and they get back their $98 of GST. Um, but I just, you know, because agents fees, there's GST in that as well. So GST is charged everywhere. So you can recoup that. I've chosen not to just like, and I, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I don't earn 
enough. Um, and I just, that's just one more thing I don't, I don't want to worry about. So you don't have to have GST involved. Um, I just before we go continue with GST, I do know um, some actors, though, who earn a lot of money who are registered as businesses. I'm thinking of one person in particular, because um, if you are registered as a business, you get taxed at a slightly lower rate um, than you would as a, you know, someone out there in the workforce who gets taxed at 30% or whatever. Um, but if you are a business, so say you were Libby Clyde's proprietary limited, you could get uh, a fee, you don't get a wage, you could get, a, you know, an amount of money for doing a job, but then you can't get super. Uh, so just think about that, people. If you do, if you charge with an ABN, um, you can include your super in your fee and then farm that off to your super fund. But if you are thinking about becoming a business, I'm not a financial advisor, by the way, I'm just kind of just putting it out there. You, as a business, you can't um, charge super on top of your, you know, it's not like getting a wage plus your super, which is by law. So anyway, I just wanted to pop, pop that in the mix there. Yeah. I mean, there were so, some there were some grants and some relief packages that were available to people who were registered for GST as well. So there's pros and cons on on that. Um, but yeah, look, as I as I said, I'm I'm personally I'm not registered for GST, so it just means I have a bog standard ABN, um, which means here. I operate as a, as a sole trader, and that means that I can invoice for jobs that I do, however big or large. Sometimes I'm employed, sometimes I'm on contracts, um, just like you, Mon. Um, but a lot of the time, I'm invoicing for my fees. And the way that I manage that is through a whole bunch of different bank accounts. Um, and I try and automate it as, as best as I possibly can because, because I've got a bit on and uh, I don't have, to, I, I, like I, I, need, I need the internet and maths to do the work for me um, so that I don't have to think about it all of the time. And so um, for me, paying that extra few uh, bucks of bank fees a month is worth it to mean that all of my streams are separate. Um, and so that there is one bucket for household expenses. Um, there is one bucket for, um, you know, for savings. There is one bucket for um, my own creative endeavours. There is one bucket for shows that I'm handling the money for, but isn't actually mine if I'm a producer, for example. So that's the way that I personally keep it all organised. It's just through different bank accounts. And that also means then that um, if you you know, like you can keep track of a lot of those ins and outs through just the statements that are there as well. And um, so that makes um, that a bit easier. So is that the kind of thing that you're hinting at there, Mon? Yeah, um, yes, exactly. I mean, particularly because I know you're, you're working on quite a few endeavours for other people. I mean, I've had projects too where you just have to be super specific about, well, this isn't my money, this is the project's money. Yeah. Um, and you really have to be good at just being really neat and tidy with with yep. that money a couple of years ago uh, I co-produced a show which I was in um, my co-producer wrote the show she was in it we had quite a large cast we went to the New York Fringe we had um, crowdfunding we had grants I mean we had to be really really clear about how much everything's going yeah. to cost I mean we didn't get paid but we covered all our costs and that was part of the thrill of going to New York Fringe we had a season there we got great reviews you know so they're the bonuses you get yeah. and it was going to New York it was New York Fringe amazing um, but yeah we had to be really you can't kind of um, take your eye off the ball you have to be really if you feel like you're not good at kind of keeping receipts and kind of yeah, maybe maybe producing is not for you because it really is a lot of it is very time consuming and tracking that money, making sure it goes to the right people, the, the bills are paid, and um, you know including your ten percent 
um, for, for co- in case costs blow out. When you put in a grant, you should always include 10 or 15% for unforeseen. I don't know what figure you you choose, but you need to have some kind of figure in there for just the things like we know now that certain transport costs, certain ju- just some things, there's costs that you can't between now and when you get the money and when you might go on tour or when you take do a project somewhere yeah. else there's costs are inflated it's the it's the contingency slush fund and Correct. and budgets without a slush fund for surprises uh like they do call down. it contingencies on the grant though not slush fund <laughs> yes 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 it is contingency but like you do you need you need a, a chunk of, and this is and this is scalable as well like you can have a 50 dollar contingency budget line if your budget is small like this is this is not just for like big, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, projects. This is for, for all sizes. You do need to have a small amount of money uh, or a percentage of your project budget put aside for surprises because they happen. They happen. They always do. And you know what? And if they don't, oh, no, you've got an extra 10% that you can chuck into marketing or someone's fee. Like, no one's going to be upset about that, but it's a lot easier to carve that out from the beginning than to start slashing things um, halfway through a project, I think is it. Um, I uh, look. I agree in terms of keeping track of things. Um, uh, I take. I tend to take photos of receipts because um, I lose them. <laughs> but uh, if I've taken a photo of it, it's in my phone, um, and my phone uh, syncs everything to my cloud storage, so um, that they're all there at the very least. Um, that's one way of keeping track of pieces of paper if you've got um, tangible receipts and not emailed receipts. Um, I've also really, in the past couple of years, um, come around to putting my budgets on Google Sheets. Um, I am not a shill for Google. Uh, You can use whatever the hell you want. But the thing that I like about Google Sheets and Google Docs is that uh, they can be accessed by a lot of people. And you can change Mm. the permissions. So whether people are viewers or editors, sometimes you don't want people fiddling around in your spreadsheets. In fact, a lot of the time you don't. But what it does mean is that you can uh, give access to viewing them so people can see um, where the money has been uh, allocated and where it's been spent. You can um, show actuals versus budgets and that that's all very clear. And I think that if we're talking about producing specifically, um, transparency, 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 like you've got to be super clear about where the money's coming from, how much of it there is and where it's all going um, because money only gets weird when there's secrets. Um, and so and, that's uh, one look, way yeah, of I'd doing like to, that. Absolutely. And so if anyone um, here is, if you're going to participate in a co-op, Everything needs to be right up front. I mean, I did a co-op at, um, at the beginning of last year's Fringe. It was great. I was working with a young, a team of young people, but there was about 12 of us and they had, there was, everyone had a specific role, which I love rather than, oh, you know, we're just going to make it happen. It's like, no, here's the production we'll manager, here's in. the marketing. Yeah, no. Yeah. And so it was very much, obviously, you know, we only had five shows because Fringe, you only get five shows. We sold out. We're at the Blue Room. It was great. We had great reviews. It was only a two-hander. I mean, I got $92.17, but that's how specific it was. Um, you know, I mean, I thought I was going to get nothing. I mean, you know, it was enough that we did this brand new play. We've got great reviews and we've got full houses, but it was it was really thorough. It was very clear who, where, how much money came in, how much the budget was, who was getting what, these were the shares. Before it all started, it was very much, you know, it's going to get divided up between 12 people in this way. And so I would encourage everyone to be, um, everyone's entitled to see those budgets. They're not necessarily entitled to fiddle around with your spreadsheet. I totally agree with you. But you need to be open and upfront about 
what the money is, what it's going to be used for. I mean, I've heard so many people get burnt going, oh, well, we had full house. We never got to see the budget. It's just like, well, that's a no-no. Everyone's entitled to that. Um, and it should be open and discussed openly right from the get-go. Um, just like, you know, you want to know where the, re where the rehearsals are happening or uh, whatever you need to and at what time. Um, it, that, that's just thorough um, and yeah, I, people need to be proactive. If you're not the producer, you're just as entitled to know what the producer's up to if you're involved yeah. in those things, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's never enough time to get projects together. And so there is definitely enough, not enough time for people to be getting pissy about who's getting an extra 500 bucks here or an extra $50 there. Like there's just not time. You want that to be clear at the beginning so that in the project, uh, when you're developing your project and when you're presenting your project, you are working on the project and not, worrying about that stuff that should yeah. Be, yeah and you don't want to be um in a situation where suddenly you know because you've had some producer who's just not paid attention and suddenly there's all these extra costs mm. so it's good it's a good idea to know things are on track you know and it's fine to say this is our budget it's five thousand dollars or whatever but it's all going to get spent on xyz um mm. we'll only be getting a cut of the box office we may you know you might only get a hundred bucks okay people need to know you need to understand that and if somebody's mm. saying to you we're going to make so much money i just like mm, maybe not i mean if you're in a funded production uh in a fully funded show with a with either an independent theatre company that's got a grant or a, a funded company, um, it, it's pretty straightforward. You've got a contract. You're going to get a weekly wage. Um, uh, and props to everyone here because we're all um, equity members and that people understand that if you're going to get in a show, you want to get your equity rates if it's a funded show. So, But then, of course, if it's just a fringe show, if it's, if it's a co-op show, there's only so much budget, I mean, I think it's um, on the producers to try and make the budget as lean as possible so that there's any any extra money can be divvied up amongst the performers yes. because I don't think people should be doing stuff for nothing. Um, and, you, you know, you want to build on your professionalism so that then when you're applying for grants, you can say, well, we did this show, we, we, we covered costs, whatever. We're in a position to get funded properly. So, and I would like to say, if you are applying for funding, it is hard to get Australia Council funding. I will say. I mean, I've had some over the years, um, but don't get despondent if you don't get funding. I would encourage people to be super proactive, get feedback, find out why you didn't, and reapply. I've been on peer assessment panels, and people reapply, and they do get better, and they get talked about again. And it's like, well, yeah, let's give these people a go this time. So you'd be surprised once you keep kind of putting your hand up for things and getting better at writing those applications, you will be successful eventually. Um, and sometimes it is eventually. It feels like, oh, it's taken forever. But um, grant applications are a skill. And um, just like writing a good essay <laughs> at uni, uh, you, you get better at it. Uh, you learn the, the buzzwords, the, how to frame your arguments succinctly, not to get into grant waffle, um, really drive home what your project is and be clear and passionate <clears throat> and articulate about what that project is because someone's going to read it who doesn't know who you are and if you can sell yourself within that, that grant application that's a really good skill to have and I think it comes with being working in this area you know trying to be many things yeah and mom like 
I think it's also okay if you're crap at grants and you hate doing them, then you that doesn't have to be part of your slushy portfolio. <laughs> you can that's that can be something that you can handle to someone else. That's totally yes. fine. Like being being a slushy and and you know about what this what this session is is about isn't about being able to do everything. It's about being able to do a few things and being informed in that way. You know, like there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with. And that's a lot of a lot of people send me emails going, oh, I need a producer. Why do you need a producer? What do you need me to do? Oh, the grant, the grant. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. It's like, okay. Um, yeah, and then it's a fee for service. So, yeah, you know. Exactly. I, I, I would say as well. Uh, it is a skill that needs developing. I mean, and I, I developed that skill just because, I, you know, I like writing. I, that's one of my slashy skills as a writer, as a creative writer and as a, you know, doing grants or acquittals or whatever. But, yeah, if, if you feel like it's overwhelming, it's just not your thing, it's like some actors go, I'm not the playwright. I don't want to write something. You and I are both devisers. We've created work. We've written work that we end up being in or having others in with us. So, and that's a passion. Um, but that doesn't, I mean, I just also want to encourage people, if you're trained as an actor, you know, there are other skills or interests that you might have that that just need developing and nurturing and yeah. um, don't get put off. If, if you really want to write something, write, um, you know, in, develop that skill. Uh, don't get put off. I mean, I'm old now, so I've been doing this for years. And, I mean, when I was at VCA, we were encouraged to, you know, group, group and self-devise work. And so that was something that some of us went, wow, great, yes, oh, yeah, I can do that, um, or I want to do that. And so it was a skill that develops and then people get to see you and know you do things. And so, yeah, you just, these things take time. Um, they're not something that happens overnight. And like you, it's just about pursuing those things that you find interesting. Then people get to know you. They think you can do that. Then they they see you, you know, that, like the fact that I've done six things for the museum. They know I've done things there. They go, oh, great, we'll get Monica to do something else. So you forge relationships. They see something that's done well. They get you back again, you know. So you the, the, the revolving door can be a positive revolving door. Yeah, yeah. I think a, a couple of things that I wanted to pick up on there as well. Um, if we're talking about artists uh, self-producing their work as well, um, being one benefit I think of being a, a slashy in that way is that I am able to monitor and manage projects and different departments on them. I say departments, it could be one person, um, <laughs> um, better as well, because, because I do have performance experience and because I do direct as well, um, and I do um, put together tours and things like that, it means that I have a, a greater understanding of um, when a lighting designer says, hey, I need, I need these things, um, I need this budget, or I need this access, or I need these um, staff members. It means that I have a greater understanding of that because I've kind of been on the floor in a lot of those roles as well. And and I, I often say that um, being a, you know, being a, a performer and a director makes me a better producer. But also being a producer makes me a better director and performer. And and likewise for educator or you know any of those things as well. They all speak to one another, and it means that I can. Uh, come at them from a greater knowledge point for all of them. Yeah, um, you could be more simpatico to the needs, yeah. uh, you know, of of those different, as you say, departments. Um, yeah. And, yeah, like at, particularly as a divisor and maker, you do get, an, you know, the lighting, the the what, what goes on stage, off stage and above, above and around you um, is it's, 
it's good to know. Um, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a kind of a whole, it's a, more of a holistic approach. Right? I mean, it's lovely to be in your bubble if you're just being your, an actor and I love it when you can, everyone else has got their jobs and you can just focus on what you need to do. But having an understanding of what everyone's doing, whether you've got your producer hat on or your, you know, director hat, and it, I, I agree with you. It, it, it makes for um, a, a more cohesive work situations as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I would say as well that uh, I, th I think that sometimes performers underestimate their own capabilities and skills as well. Um, you should, like I've, you know, I, so many actors are like, oh, maths, oh, I hate it, I'm not good at it. And yet I've never met a single actor or a dancer or a comedian that can't tell you exactly how many pints they can have while still being able to pay the rent that week. Like I think you're better at it than you think you are. <laughs> you know, mm. it's just that you haven't had the you know, the drive to, to want to be, you know, able to manage those things. Um, and that you can always get a mentor. God, I love mentors, big fan of mentors, often recommend them, often seek them for myself as well if I'm doing something new um, or something that's of a different scale than I usually am before. And that's a really great way um, to facilitate uh, movement into being a slashy in another area as well as give it a go but make sure that you've got a really great veteran mentor um, riding shotgun with you because that can be a great way to learn and to bounce ideas off and just to double check things if you think that you know your, your gut instinct might be on but might be off it's nice to have someone who you can just refer to in that as well yeah and someone who's and, got and the people experience who've been in the sector yeah, yeah and people who've been in the sector for a little while like I think it uh it behooves on uh on them and on us to remember what it's like coming up and to pay it forward because um because we've got to make sure that that flow is continuous and there is a, a lack of, frankly there is a lack of people um who are skilled in uh at, particularly at the moment particularly after the last couple of years in um in technical skills in producing skills in marketing skills like we have a skill shortage at the moment so mm throw your hat in but get someone to teach you because there's room for those people to come up and we need them and uh, you know it's there's you know we love being in the arts because of the it's creative and exciting but it involves a lot of hard work <laughs> so um the, and that's the thing you know if you get up and goes got up and gone because you're ex really exhausted you've got to give yourself a bit of time out to get the energy back to get back into it because doing anything well takes a lot of work and focus and commitment and make sure you surround yourself with supportive people you know don't feel I've known people and I've been in situations where you end up feeling like you're the one carrying it all and just yeah choose who you work with and it doesn't matter if everyone's a bit inexperienced that's fine but all just be open about where your skill sets are and where where you are, where your experiences are, and where your experiences aren't. And I agree with you. Having mentors is great. And there are plenty of people out there who will give you know in in the profession who you can sort of tap into for advice. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, Mon, I agree as well. It's a lot easier to teach someone how to run Q Lab than it is to teach someone how to not be an asshole. <laughs> Take note, everyone. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We prefer we prefer to be able to. Be, be nurturing um, and bypass the assholes. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Now, I'm, I'm just wondering if there's any um, questions. Yeah. I, I, one thing I wanted to talk about, though, just in terms of evolution of, of work. I mean, one of the reasons I like working in the arts is because, I mean, some people really want to know what they're doing next week. I kind of like the, oh, you know, chaos is good because 
you don't quite know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm not saying the last year has been fabulous for anyone by any means um, because there's been so many unknown unknowns. But the fact that, I mean, I started, I trained as an actor, I, you know, I started doing voiceovers and then voiceover work has led me into, I mean, I do audio walks now. I work with a historian. He writes the text. I do, I mean, they're, they're apps that people can download for free and go on any number of walks. And the money we get is through councils. So sometimes there's money where you don't think there's money. You know, there's the... the your state government arts bodies and your federal government um, organisations. Um, and But then every council usually has pots of money for events or certain activities, and they can be quite small grants with very quick turnaround. And it's myself and my colleague and friend who's a historian and our audio engineer. So it's a fee for the three of us. We don't give away the um, audio tours. It's just for a certain number of years. Then the councils have to revisit us and pay us another fee or we can retweet the script and re-record or whatever. But I just want to put that out there that um, people might have a project that is not is specific to a particular area um, and they should approach the councils that, that that thing that they want to do is in because there is money there. They just don't necessarily publicise it. Um, and for creative Particularly arts Particularly in regions. Particularly yeah. in regions at the moment. Yeah. But also I'm just thinking, I mean, like I'm doing projects that are within the Perth metro area and mm. um, we got money from Coburn Council, Stirling Council, City of Bayswater, mm. Melville, like we're doing all these different tours, audio tours. So they've pre-recorded my voice, um, you know, John's text. So I'm just, you know, um, and I've also done actually physical walking tours, historical tours where I've got paid from various councils. So I was performing, I wrote the text. Some of them I actually created a character. Um, and so there's yeah I'm just that's another area where people might want to think about where they can tap into counts and the councils don't advertise it's not like on their websites but there's usually money there ten thousand dollars five thousand dollars eight thousand dollars three thousand dollars you know there's small pots of money for specific projects or even free rehearsal space that's a massive saving you know there's a lot of unused spaces that if you see an unused space, find out who owns it because you, you might be surprised that it could be owned by a council or could be owned by someone who's quite happy to let you use it, as you say, for a creative rehearsal space. Yes. Hey, there's a question that's come through to me yep. by the chat. It's from Andrew. And he says that film schools all over Australia teach students to get their actors for free. And how can we change this official attitude? That's a question that I'll throw to you, Mon, because you work in film and TV more than I do. Yeah, um, I've worked on a few. There's been a few feature films which I've had cameos in recently. Um, How to Place a Woman's most recent one, um, Three Summers, um, The Naked Wanderer. So we've had a few feature films made here. Luckily, even though they were small budget, everyone got paid properly. Um, film is ridiculously expensive, even if it's a low budget student film, there are just costs involved. Um, and I know it's an interesting thing. It's even with fringe things too. Um, oh, look, we'll pay the stage manager. We're not going to pay the actors. So, I mean, yeah, it's actors really need to stand up for themselves. I mean, I've been offered student films and I go, no, I don't, I, I want to be paid. Um, some um, training institutions here actually now have a, a fee that they will pay for actors. But it's up to actors to actually go, well, you know, maybe if it's their friend who's a director. I mean, I've, you know, worked on projects where I'm involved with the team and it's about we're all doing it for nothing. We really want to get this project up and then we end up with this great bit of content at the end which we can use um, uh, to promote ourselves or gain experience or it's just a, you know, great piece of little piece of filmmaking which is a good thing to have. But, um, yeah, I think it's, um, 
I think it's incumbent on those training institutions to include funding. Uh, the film course at TAFE used to pay people. I'm not sure if they do now because there's been so many changes within TAFE. Um, but it's up to actors to go no as well. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's this horrible vicious circle because actors go, oh, you know, yes, I want to I get some experience. But you've got to draw the line sometime and say, well, I've got experience. <laughs> I don't need any more experience working on a student film. And sometimes working on student films can be a nightmare because everyone's really inexperienced. So, you know, you can have shoots blow out from, you know, it's supposed to be a two-hour shoot at, in the middle of the night and it goes till 6 a.m., you know, yuck. Why can't actors' equity actually enforce it? Yes, you should get paid. So yes, we should be getting paid, right? Well, why is it happening? Well, because they're saying it's student films, it's not a professional production, it's not fully funded. I mean, I, well, then it's up to actors to say no. You know, no, but nobody's forcing you to do anything. Uh, it's just like, you know, a nude scene in a production. You don't have to do it. Nobody's forcing you to do everything. But unfortunately, there's cowboys out there and there's plenty of actors who are quite happy to do things for free. And I don't think people should. But this is ingrained in the system that film schools are teaching their students, oh, you can get your actors for nothing. We'll give you all the best equipment in the world to, to shoot the thing with and spend thousands of dollars on making the film, but your actors are for free. That's what they teach. Believe me, I've been in this business. Well, I don't endorse that. Me neither. And there's there's always a cost, even if it doesn't cost money. There's always a cost somewhere, and that's at the uh, at the sanity, at the health of the future employment of the performer as well. Like there's yeah, it's every yes is a no, and every no is a yes, and and I think that we need to be cognizant of that. And um, yeah, I absolutely agree. Artists should be paid for the work that they do. We are a labor force. Yeah, absolutely. We're trained professionals and we're upskilling all the time. I just wanted to go back to touch on one thing in terms of grant applications and co-ops uh, that people need to understand when they're doing their grant applications that you've got to include workers' compensation, super, like there's added costs above the wages. Um, yeah. Don't do your grant application in a bubble. Really consult with your um, the, the, the arts officer or grants officer or whatever because um, you can really get burnt um, because there's an obligation to pay super to have workers' compensation and they're extra costs that go into your budget. Um, even in a, um, a co-op, you've got to have um, public liability. Make sure your venue's got public liability. If you are, if you do have volunteers involved, you need volunteers insurance. That's different for so public liability is if people come and use the event, like your audience is covered. Great if someone, but if you've got some, you may have volunteers involved in some way, either um, ushering or who knows. Um, I don't you know, um, you've got to get volunteers insurance because they're not covered by workers' comp. So I'm just putting out there that there's a number of, there are plenty of things to think about and get upskilled on that you need to include in when you are doing grants. Would, would you, do you want to add to that or would you agree with that, Libby? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, those things are like, yeah, a fee's not a fee if it doesn't have super and on costs built into it as well. Um, I uh, Look, if I'm going to be living on cat food when I'm older, I want premium cat food. So pay me super, please. Um, the, the other thing that I would say is a, a trap for young players. 
um, is uh, that with on that insurance thing, just to be have a real close look at who is covered by that insurance. A lot of those, um, and this is a real thing if you're a slashy and if you're moving into areas that you haven't been before, some insurance um, policies don't cover producers and directors, for example. They'll car, cover your crew and your performers, but not directors and producers. It's very hard to get insurance that covers directors and producers as well. Um, so that's just something, a, a little quick thing to to look out for as well and, and be, do you think be it's because with your venue yeah absolutely make sure your venue's got public liability and in terms of those producers um because it's the there's risks involved about being a producer and also knowing like if there's cost blow blowouts who, whose problem is it you know who i think that's really important to be aware of particularly if you're feeling like you're involved in something that's kind of big and you know maybe it's got I don't know I'm not saying it's got pyrotechnics in it but there's something involved in it that's costly expensive mm. whether it's the costumes or the set or or a big cast um yeah yeah I mean you know for example I would love MEAA to open up membership to directors and producers as well I think that would be a really great move uh and, well, actually, and then we can work collectively well actually directors can uh, be part of um uh, Mia in the Mia in the crew section. So yes, yes, yeah, true. Um, I've got some a question here. Um, to, there are a couple, and I'm just going to read them out. How do you avoid spreading yourselves too thin or feeling overwhelmed? Do you work a little bit on each area a week, or or have blocks of time for each area? How do you keep on top of it all? Um. Sometimes I don't do that very well is the honest truth. Sometimes I'm very burnt out and sometimes I have no work and I'm very relaxed and mm. it's, uh, and that's, uh, that comes with being a freelancer. You know, you make hay while the sun shines um, so that you've got it for the winter time. Um, it is, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. And again, if you're, if you are someone who identifies as a slashy, as I do, it means that you can take on a lot more gigs um, mm. But that doesn't mean that you should say yes to all of them all the mm. time. I think um, working just like it's just like it's impossible for actors to do back to back gigs, like to to roll from off stage into another rehearsal, onto stage into another rehearsal, like to do that back to back to back is um, is foolhardy and drains you. And there's like you need to have a break. I think that that's the same no matter what role you're doing as well. It's very difficult to do back-to-back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back -to -back gigs, um, even if you're changing the role around. I mean, in my experience, it's slight, it means you can do that for slightly longer because you're using different aspects of your brain. Um, but to keep doing back-to-back -back gigs all the time is a... Uh, um, it's really hard work and that's that's something that I don't always get right um anyone I know that there aren't heaps of West Australians in this session because they've heard me talk about this before but those of you who are will be laughing their heads off at the idea of me taking breaks um but you do need to um to factor those in because it's it's takes a lot it's 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 head work and it's heart work and I guess when we talk about um quoting for fees and and building those in as well you should be it's not just about the hours that you spend on the gig. It's about the time that you need to spend recovering from it as well. And that's something that um, that I wish someone had told me earlier, that it's not just about the four weeks that I'm on the gig. It's about the week that I'm going to need having a nap afterwards as well and making sure that I'm building in that contingency, not just of money, but of downtime as well so yeah. that I can afford to have that break within those gigs um, and not like, oh, fuck, well, I've got to take this one because... 
oh, there's a big gap coming here and I've got to take it so I can pay the rent. Like I need to be, we need to collectively, I think, be looking at how we build that, that leave into the fees that we charge as well. Yeah, I think, and also learning how to say no, you can yeah. sum things up and you don't, have, I mean, I think we all in the arts go just say yes to everything. And as I've got, you know, through through my career, it's just sometimes you just go, mm, I'm going to say no to that. I don't want to do that, you know, and it's okay to say no. You don't have to say yes to everything. Um, I think it's interesting. A few years ago, I read a report from the Australia Council and it said that women who apply for grants always ask for less money than they need and men always seem to ask for more money than they need. So, um, yeah, I think be really honest and straightforward and um, ask for the money you need. Don't under-budget. That, that's always really unhealthy. That does your head in. Um, and make sure you've got enough time and money and the right people to do a project. So it, things take planning. Don't just do something on a whim. Think about how, you know, how much it's going to drain on you. And if it is a new project, new projects always take a lot more out of you. But, I mean, you know, I've just finished training as an audio describer and I was still doing my training, audio describing for the blind, and then I was starting to do audio working, getting gigs in that field. So that was like, ah, talk about, you know, using a new part of my brain. But um, it, it, it's another skill, you know, and I, I love it. It was hugely demanding, but now I've got another skill that I can do that still has a connection to theatre and visual arts. So um, there, there's, yeah, you never know. When you say yes to some things, it can lead to more yeses along the way, which can be super engaging and super interesting. And it's, you know, our, our, our world is, it's a risky world because um, sometimes you can be stuck in, a, you know, doing something that is maybe not as exciting as you or interesting as you thought it would be. But, you know, something else will come up. And, and yeah, giving yourself the time to have downtime. And sometimes I am doing five different projects at once. And it's, that's just because things overlap. And you've just got to be super disciplined and not get burnt out. You know, remember that it's not all about, being, you know, go out in the garden. I mean, I'm I'm a full-on gardener, so it's about having those things that are, are quite separate, uh, having a life that's quite separate in many ways from from you know, don't just live and breathe um, your, your acting gigs or your or your creative gigs because you will get burnt out. That can't just feed everything in your life. So yeah, you need to be disciplined and and you know, cut yourself some slack, give yourself a break as well. You're allowed to have some downtime. Yeah. I've got one, uh, uh, we're heading almost to the end, so I've got one last question. Thanks, Alex. Isn't a lot of funding directed towards emerging, quote, emerging artists? or What, what was the beginning of the question, sorry? Isn't a lot of funding directed towards, quote, yeah, emerging, emerging. Yes. artists? Yes. On what funding is available for experienced performers and who is there that can help with funding applications? I don't know what state this is in. I think it's in the eastern states. Well, there are uh, yeah, it, it's true. There's, um, I, I'm quite cynical about that. that Actually, the funding it's bodies. WA. Get... I'm sorry, it's WA. The question's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, in WA, um, there there is funding for um, emerging artists, and you know, it's a bit like we don't have to give as much money to emerging artists because they're emerging. Um, and then you go, well, how long do you have to emerge before I'm established? You know, and then there, because there seems to be a drop off. There is money for established artists, and that's like when you apply for proper, you know, funding for a for a whole project, a whole of project. Um, uh, even if it's a creative development, you know, you get funding for all the creatives involved for a specific amount of time. Um, the grants officers can give you that advice. Uh, 
over to you, Libby. I mean, you've got experience in this area of, of writing grant applications as well. Yeah, look, the, the grants officers are at the West Australian State Government um, of Culture and the Arts are fonts of knowledge um, and they're very good and there's a lot of resourcing online as well. Um, I think that there are some, what, what really um, makes my heart glad is seeing a lot of the organisations, uh, the funded organisations take this up as well and are offering opportunities as well. Um, the uh, Perth Festival uh, has a new program called Fuel um, that is specifically for established and mid-career artists um, to uh, undertake professional development and project development over next, uh, the next festival. I think the applications are due for that in the next day or so. So I would encourage you to look at that. Um, the Last Great Hunt have just opened out a call mm. out for opportunities to develop new work with them, um, which is really exciting. And that's specifically for mid-career and established artists as well. So mm. that, that's two off the top of my head that are, are maybe non-traditional sources of, of support and funding there. Um, the, uh, as Mom was saying before, local governments can be mm. um, often much more willing to give money to established artists than emerging yeah. artists because they are not... Um, equipped to give the support to emerging artists. And they're risk they averse. They yeah, want people they're who've got experience. Here's my CV. We've done this before. They go, great. They know yeah. their money's going to go where it's going to go. Um, and so absolutely local councils, yes. Absolutely. Um, I would also direct uh, West Australians to Circuit West. Um, there is a plethora of resources on that website as well. Um, and there is there is money, particularly in WA, because it is so big um, yeah. in terms of those reg regional funding. Um, there's a lot of cash there and there are a lot of venues who are so desperate to help artists and give uh, in-kind and financial support to development of projects that are for regions as well. So off the top of my head, they are some places that you can go if you are mid-career or established artists in WA. And, and yeah, interestingly enough. West. Sorry? That was called Second West? Circuit. Circuit West. Circuit. And interestingly enough, Joondalup, which is a suburb in Perth, we think of it as kind of one of our northern suburbs, technically Joondalup falls within the regions so they actually have different funding, even though they're like half an hour drive from where I'm living, they have regional funding. So, yeah, I, I, would, I would be really sticking your nose in all sorts of councils because there is money there. And if you've got a project, it might be a small project that you can tour to one of their venues or, or go between um, different councils and get different bits of money from each council and do a mini kind of regional tour or it can be a tour within, you know, city um, councils. So, yeah, that's definitely a place where you can look that there's kind of hidden money because they don't really publicise it that much, but they all have money. Look, we are, it's time, um, we've come to the end of it. Thank you so much, Monica and Libby. This was a great opportunity to go go over it because a lot of people ask about the slashes and we haven't done one where we've had the opportunity to ask people who are so experienced in it. So uh, we are very grateful. So um, if there's got any final comments, otherwise um, we will finish up. Thanks so much, Alex. Thanks, everyone. Um, and certainly if there's any more queries that can come via you, Alex, sure, from uh, anyone here, Libby and I, of course, would be happy to... Um, Happy to give people answers if we if we have them. And thanks yeah. for having us, so to speak. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, because it's been a wonderful opportunity. As I said, we haven't done one like this before, so we're very grateful. So no thank worries. You. And of course, All the very best. Stay came. safe, everyone. Thank thanks, you. Everyone. Thanks, Sydney. Thanks, Alex. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, keep hustling. <laughs>
Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the Foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.